Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, this morning we're continuing in our series we're calling uh, Living Beyond Yourself. And it's all about generous living. And it's based on what I believe a fundamental truth is that most people want to live generous lives. Most of us want to be generous people. And, it, and it's because we are created in the image of a generous God. And part of being created in His image is a desire to, to reflect that. And, and I know that's true, and you know that's true, because it feels right. It feels good when you're able to do it. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue in that series. We're going to talk about balancing the books. You all know what that is. You know you've you got to balance your checkbook may not be good at it, but in theory, you know it ought to be done, okay? That there's this whole idea that, um, you know, you're not supposed to write a check and you can't use your ATM card uh, if you don't have funds in the bank. You know, and that was a concept my children had to learn because they kind of thought the ATM was this magic money machine. You know, it's like, well, we don't have the money to do that. Well, just go to the ATM, Dad. You know, it's... This machine, you just punch in some numbers and it gives you money. What, what could be better than that? Okay, well, most of us know that's not how it works. You can't draw out if you don't have something in. And when we talk about balancing the books, that's kind of what we have in mind. There's got to be a balance between what comes in and what goes out and, you know, keeping it all balanced. This morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. It's going to kind of turn that on its ear a little bit. Might have some surprises for you because you're going to look at it in a little bit different way. Because the problem with that whole way of thinking is, and we talked about this the first week, that the way that we, we prioritize our finances is, you know, spending's at the top and then, you know, and then paying off debt, you know, is maybe next. And then, you know, the government gets its share. And then if there's any left over from that, we save some. And then maybe if we have some left over, then we give. And this whole idea of balancing the books is, well, when I go through it that way, by the time I get to the bottom, there's nothing left to give. And if I don't have it, I don't give it. And we talked the first week that to live a generous life, that whole priority system's got to turn upside down. That, that you start with giving. You make that a priority. And then savings. And then you start you know, taking care of those other things. And we talked about how God established this idea of the tithe, 10% of my income. The, off the top goes back to him. And the whole importance of prioritizing and, and percentage planned giving. Um, and we're going to take that a step further. Now, we're going to look at a passage. It's in, it's in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And for those of you who maybe aren't all that familiar with the Bible, um, Old and New Testament, in the New Testament, a large majority of the New Testament is actually letters. They are letters written by the apostles to different churches. This one was written by the apostle Paul. The apostle is just, he was a disciple. He was a follower of Jesus. Um, and a leader in the church, and he wrote a letter to a church in a city called Corinth. This is actually his second letter to them. And there's a specific thing that was going on. This wasn't about tithing. This was about kind of above and beyond giving, generosity. It may actually be the definitive passage in Scripture when it comes to living a generous life. Because the specific need was this, that this Corinthian church was in a pretty wealthy area of the world. And the persecution that had broken out against believers and Christians, followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, had been pretty severe and had impact on their lives in every way, one of which being financially. And so the church in Jerusalem had a lot of financial resource need. People in the church had need. And, and so what Paul had done was contacted the other churches, particularly the Corinthian church, and said, if there's a way that you can help meet the needs of, of 
poor people in, in a part of the church in Jerusalem, um, you know, we'd like to facilitate that. We'd like to make that happen. And so he had written them beforehand and talked to them about it. And now he's about to visit them again. And so he writes this letter in advance telling them, okay, I'm coming. I'm going to take your collection and I'm going to be bringing it back to the church in Jerusalem. So that's the background of this whole thing. That's a specific need. But there are principles behind that that had to do just with this whole idea of generous living and living beyond yourself. And so we're going to pick it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or one of the ones that might be near you in a seat. Um, Let me read it. We'll begin reading here in verse 6. And this is what Paul wrote to them. He said, now remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The specific situation was it was a group of needy people that the Corinthian church, the people in the Corinthian church had the resources to help meet that need. And so Paul, having contacted them, talked to them about this and gave them kind of fair warning, he's now about to bring it back, pick it up and bring that gift, make the delivery. He's he's the go-between in all of this. And he's preparing them ahead of time. He's saying, now, I'm coming and I want to make sure you're doing this the right way. And the things that he talked to them about are principles about generous living that translate to our church today. Because whether you believe this or not or feel it personally or not, Every one of us in this room are far richer than most of the world's population. And the the poorest in the United States are wealthy by most of the world's standards. So God has given to us. God has enriched us. We are like the Corinthian church. We have abundance. And he's saying, now you've got a responsibility with that. And here's some principles to help you move from consumerism to generosity. And they're same principles for us today. And the first one is simply this. You will determine how generous a person you become. That's pretty straightforward. But the truth is, nobody else is going to do it for you. No one is going to make you more generous. You are going to be the sole determiner of how generous you become. You're going to make that decision. Nobody else is going to force you. Nobody else can make you. This is going to be your choice, your decision. That's what Paul said. He said, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. 
He's saying, you got to get serious about this generosity thing. Because this isn't something that just kind of happens on its own. He says, you got to give this some thought. In fact, that whole phrase, decided in your heart to give, is actually one word in the original Greek language. And I could tell it to you because I took three years of college New Testament Greek. But it's a tough word to pronounce because it's a really long you know, compound word and you wouldn't remember it anyway afterwards. But here's what it means. Literally, it means to pre-decide by careful, prayerful thought and consideration to give. Okay? That's why it's a whole big long sentence because one word says all of that. What it's saying is this is something that doesn't happen haphazardly. You got to decide and you pre-decide. You decide ahead of time and you do so not haphazardly, but carefully. You give it some thought. Give this some prayer. Give this careful consideration and decide. All of that in that one little word. And what he's saying is this is going to be up to you. This is going to be up to you. Some of your translations might say what you have purposed in your heart. It carries that idea that this is a, this is a set decision. And what he's saying there is you, you got to take this serious enough to give it some thought. Now, I wonder if I ask this morning by show of hands, and I won't do it, but how many of you give careful, considerate thought to generous living? I would venture to say very few of us would be able to raise our hands. Because most of it, we either do it by rote, we've got a certain amount in mind, and we do it every month, we don't think about it at all. And, and maybe sometimes a special need comes up, we think, well, maybe we should do something to help that. We say, no, no, you've got to be purposeful in this. Be careful about this. Give this some very serious thought. Um, he goes on, he says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He says, now think about this. But when you think about this, keep this in mind. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Now that is a basic law of the harvest. And, and because we're not in an agricultural society so much, and this might be a little strange to you, for them, this was very, very real because most people basically planted their own little plot of land and that was the food that they lived on. And so every spring, every landowner, every farmer had to make a decision. I have this much grain. I have this much seed. Now, some of that I'm going to need to live on and feed my family for the rest of this year. So some of it I need for myself and for my family, but I also need to plant. Because you see, if I decided, you know what, this year we are going to live high on the hog. We are just going to, we're going to keep it all and we're going to eat every bit of it and we're just going to stuff ourselves full and we're not going to plant anything. And they would live really well for a year. They'd be really big trouble the next year because they hadn't planned, they hadn't prepared, they hadn't planted anything. And, and so what he's saying is, listen, if you decide to not plant anything, you're not going to have any harvest when it comes harvest time. Now, on the other hand, if you planted it all, you had nothing to live on. So they had to make this decision. And it was a very careful decision because it depended on how much you had this year and how much the harvest was last year. But every year there, there came to this decision. How much do I plant and how much do I hold back to feed my family? And what Paul is saying is, that kind of consideration is the way you need to think about generous living. It's what you got to start thinking in different terms. And you got to give some thought. How much do I really need? 
Because if I can learn to get by on less and plant more, there will be more there the following year, and then I'll be able to maybe hold back a little bit more and still plant more. It's that kind of thinking. Now, there's no, there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees that what you plant is all going to produce a harvest. But the one guarantee is this. If you don't plant, you won't have a harvest. You've got to plant something. And Paul's saying, okay, so think about it in those kinds of terms. The decision you make about what you do with this resource is going to determine what you have in the future. It's actually going to determine who you become. Because when it comes to generosity, that's what God is more interested in. In fact, that's really what God is interested in, everything. All of the commands, all of the instruction, all the precepts, all of the principles that we are given in, in Scripture are because God is not just so concerned about our obedience as much as who we become. That's God's ultimate aim. It's about our heart. It's about our attitude. And so what he's saying is that, you know, give this prayerful, thoughtful consideration. This is important stuff. Because it not just, it's not just about obedience. It's really about who you become. It's about your heart. Jesus said that. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Your heart will always follow your treasure. That's the way that it works. We know that. Those of you who have an, an, an IRA or maybe a 401k or something that's invested in a particular mutual fund or whatever, you check that fund out from time to time to see how it's doing. Why? Because that's where your treasure is. That's your retirement. That's where your heart is too. It matters to you because you got an investment there. And what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying and what God has been saying to us all along is this is not just about giving. This is really about who you become. This is about your heart. And that's what God is after. Now, the government, the IRS, they don't really care about your heart. They just want your money. Okay? There is nowhere, when you do your taxes this year, there is no box on the 1040 form that says, how's your heart about this? Are you giving with joy? There's no box on that form. Because they don't care about your heart. They just want your money. God doesn't just want your money. He wants your heart. See, that's what this is about. It's who you become. And that's why I put it that way. You will decide what kind of person you become. You will decide how generous a person you will become. You're going to make that decision. Every one of us in this room, we will make that decision. And in fact, to not decide is to make a decision. For the farmer to not decide how much he's going to plant, he's made a decision. If he doesn't decide how much, he won't do anything. And that's his decision. He said, you decide this. It's a heart issue. Where your treasure is, your heart follows. That's why he goes on. He says, so give as you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He says, this isn't about coercing you. This isn't about manipulating you. This isn't about laying a guilt trip on you. He said, this is really about your heart. It's really about your heart. So don't give because somebody laid a guilt trip on you. Don't give because you saw pictures of these poor starving babies in Jerusalem with bloated stomachs and you just felt so guilty that you had to do something. Don't give because somebody came and and twisted your arm. Don't do it out of compulsion. Don't do it reluctantly. God loves a cheerful giver because he cares about your heart. In fact, it's interesting. The word cheerful there in Greek is the word hilaros which is where we get our English word hilarious. God loves hilarious givers. That's what he's saying. By the way, did you know that the word miser 
is also from the same root as misery. He said, you want to be happy? You want to be cheerful? Start giving. Because people say things like, I wish I had more of a heart for missions. You want more of a heart for missions? Start giving to missions. People sometimes say, you know, I, I just wish I had, I had more compassion for the needy. You want more compassion for the needy? Start giving to ways to ease the pain of the needy. See, that, that, it always works that way. You plant before you get the harvest. It always works that way. That's the law of the harvest. You don't get the harvest and then, okay, now maybe I'll plant some. No, you plant because that's the sowing. The reaping comes later. And so what he's saying is, because this is about your heart, if you want to train your heart to cheerful generosity, you start putting an investment into those things that will start transforming your heart. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And you may have to start out not so cheerful about it. But it will make you cheerful if you will continue. And that's what God is after. He's after your heart. Second principle. You're the one that's going to decide how generous you become. But the second thing is that God is more than able to supply you with the resources. See, that, that's one of the things. It's like, well, if I do that, then how much will I have left for me? If I'm taking care of somebody else, who's taking care of me? Paul says God is. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, the thing is this. Our thinking is, if I give away, I'm going to have less. If I'm generous, if I give, that means there's less for me. If I give, it's a minus on my side of the balance books. And that's the way reluctant givers give. Reluctant givers, reluctant givers give with the thought that I am spending for something that I will get no return on. Generous givers have a whole different way of thinking. See, generous givers see it, not that I'm spending and getting nothing in return. Generous givers realize I am investing and I expect a return. I am investing because the truth of the matter is that when you give to the needy, you are touching a life. When you act in compassion, you're making a difference for a person. It's an investment. When you support a ministry, it's like you are buying shares in God's economy. It's an investment. It's an investment in people. It's an investment in God's work. It's, an, it's, it's not spending and getting nothing in return. It's investing in something that truly matters in people, in God's kingdom. You just got to have this whole different way of thinking. A number of years ago, I was at a, at a conference. And the speaker, and I won't have you do it this morning, but it would be interesting if we tried it today. But he, one thing he said, everybody stand up. This conference, big, huge room. Everybody stand up. says, reach into your pockets, and I'd like you to pull out as much change that you have in your pockets as you're willing to part with. Whatever, didn't tell us how much it had to be. Just reach in your pocket, count out your change, however much you're willing to part with. So everybody did it. You know, we all pulled out, you know. That was back when you carried change in your pocket, you know, before you used a debit card and you never carry change anymore. Okay, so we all had change. So he said, okay, now, for the next five minutes, I want you to give away as much of that as you possibly can. So the whole room kind of moved around, and we all tried to 
know, give away. Of course, everybody was trying to give. Nobody was trying to get, so it got kind of hard, you know. But, you know, and after five minutes, he said, stop. And I realized I had more than I had started with. I like this game. <laughs> they said, okay, now, for the next five minutes, I want you to get as much as you can. Go. Now everybody's kind of going around and people are begging, please, please, I don't have anything. Just give me a penny, please. You know, and just like, it was so hard to get. Everybody had gotten, you know, everybody, not everybody came out ahead. I came out more ahead than other people. But, you know, when now, now, when you're, now when you're trying to get more and everybody's goal is to get more, it was like, it was a whole different thing. Then he stopped us after five minutes. He says, okay, now we're going to do it one more time and we're going to go back to the giving game. So for the next five minutes, give away as much as you can. You know what I found about myself after having to beg? All of a sudden, I wasn't quite so generous in trying to give away. See, I had come out ahead the first time, and I'd held on to enough during the giving time. <laughs> it was really hard to now just start pouring it out again. And that's human nature. God says, it takes this whole complete way of thinking. You need to realize that when you give, it's not spending and getting nothing in return. What you are doing is you are investing. And here's the deal. When you do that, God is more than able to take care of you. I want, to, I want you to read that passage again together with me. Only I'm going to, we're going to read it out loud. I'm going to stop and you're going to fill in the blanks. Okay? It's back up on the screen. Just read this. Okay? Listen to the words that you say. God is able to bless you so that in... And at having, you will in every good work. Did you get those words? Twice he uses the, the, a form of abundance. That's extra. You will have more than enough. You will have more than enough. Not just barely enough. You will have more than enough. And you will have it in, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. See, this is a faith thing. Steve talked about this last week, this whole risk idea. There is a risk. There is a risk involved, but it's an act of faith. Do I really believe God can do that? And Paul's saying, yes, yes, yes. Generous giving is an investment. What if, what if when it came to our our resources, and not just our finances, but our time and our energies and our talents and all of those things, What if, what if we changed the game? What if instead of playing Monopoly, we started playing Uno? Anybody know the game Uno? What what is the goal in Monopoly? Get everything you can. What is the goal in Uno? Get rid of it all. What if we had such a change of thinking that instead of saying, how much can I hold on to? We started thinking, how much can I get rid of? I mean, that, that is a, that's a mind-blowing thing. I, I'm not sure I'm ready for that, personally. It's one of those things God's been kind of talking to me about. What if I just started thinking differently? And instead of playing Monopoly with my stuff, I started playing Uno. I would dare say things would be a lot different. And what happens, what happens is it changes your heart. 
You begin to trust God for the results. Look at, he goes on, he says, so he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food. Okay, remember we talked earlier, every farmer, every landowner made a decision every spring at planting time. How much do I keep for bread? How much do I plant for harvest? And when Paul comes back and he says, God takes care of both. You don't have to worry about planting too much and not having enough because God provides bread for food. And, and you don't have to worry about the harvest because he provides the seed to sow. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Saying God will take care of both. You're not faced with the dilemma of either or. He says God takes care of both of those things. I mean, think about this. If you're, if you're a farmer, and, and you know, this might be hard for you, but just think about it. When you put seed in the ground, you have lost control. You have. There's not much control you have, especially in those days, because they didn't have agriculture like we have, and they didn't know how you know, to prepare soil like we do, and they didn't have all the additives and all the fertilizers and all the other stuff. You know, they didn't have the luxury of all those things. They didn't have the sophistication of all those things. It was basically you planted the seed, you did your best to keep it from being you know, too weedy, and you did your best to try to prepare the soil. But after that, it's out of your hands. You have no control over the weather. You don't know if it's going to rain when it should rain and be sunny when it should be sunny. You don't know if there's going to be a frost or if there's going to be a heat wave. You don't know if there's going to be locusts. You don't know how to get rid of the insects. You don't know. You got no control. You plant the seed, and after that, it's out of your hands. What Paul is saying, you can do that because God's in control. You can be generous, and he will take care of both of those things. And he will reward you. Now that, that I think is a hard concept because there's been so much bad teaching and bad theology on this idea of reward. Because there are those who teach this whole idea of a prosperity living. That, that if you give, then God keeps blessing you and you give and God keeps blessing you and pretty soon you're driving Ferraris and you're living in mansions and God and you're wearing Rolex watches and man, this is the way God's plan is for your life. And I'm going to tell you, that's bad theology. That's not in the Bible. Yeah. It's not even hinted at in the Bible. And in case you haven't noticed, that's not how it works. There are an awful lot of very, very wealthy people who are atheists. And you're thinking kind of to yourself, well, okay, you know, why is God blessing them? And here I am, poor little Christian, trying to be good, and I'm just struggling along. Because that's not the way that it works. God promises reward, but the reward isn't always financial. The reward may be just a change of heart. The reward might be a life that you've touched that you never find out about. Yeah. See, but God does promise a reward. And, and, and because of the bad theology, we almost react to that. Well, and and let, me, let me help you with it this way. God doesn't have to reward you. He wants to reward you. But think of it this way. Every parent in this room, you know this. You will reward good behavior in your children. You do that. If you finally catch them doing something good, you know, <laughs> you reward them. 
Why do you reward them? Because you know that that good behavior is the kind of behavior you want to instill in them because that's the kind of behavior that in the long run will pay off for them in life. But you also know that a lot of those kinds of good behaviors that you want to instill in your kids, there's not an immediate reward because these are long-term kinds of behaviors, long-term habits. But what you do is you provide, provide an immediate reward because they don't understand delayed gratification. <laughs> So you give them positive reinforcement. You give them reward because you are trying to get them to do what you know will be good for them the rest of their life. And that's what God's doing. The reward that he gives is because he knows generous living is the way to live. It's the best way to live. And so to help you understand the long-term benefits, he provides some of the short-term reward. And that's what he's doing. Does that make more sense to you? It's not God's the slot machine and I put in my quarter and I pull jackpot every time. He is reinforcing what he knows is best for us. And that is true of every aspect of our life. Like I said, every commandment, every principle, every instruction he gives us is for our ultimate good. When he talks to us how to control our thought life, it's because he knows what is good for us. When he talks to us about our dating relationships, when he talks to us about our sex life, when he, when he gives us instruction through his words, it's because he knows what the best way for us to live is. And he wants us to understand that. It's true of every aspect of his word. It's about forming our hearts and who we become. So he gives the reward. He says, you will be enriched in every way, not so that you could drive the Ferrari. You will be rewarded in every way, not so you can have the McMansion. You will be rewarded in every way, not so you can buy that Rolex watch or get that iPad 2, but so that you can be generous on every occasion. That you have just so changed your lifestyle that when an immediate need comes up, you can be generous like you really want to. But you can't right now because you're under this mountain of debt and you got no wiggle room and you got no financial freedom. So you start moving forward in generosity. God will make sure you're able to keep going. That's how it works. When you understand that, when you understand what God's really doing in all of it, it begins to make more sense. And then here's the third thing. You're the one that's going to decide how generous a person you become. And God has more than enough. He's got the ability to provide more than enough in the term of resources for you. But here's the third thing, that together, together we can advance God's purposes in this world. Together, together we can do far more than any one of us can do alone. And then when you add God into the equation... It's like, it's off the charts. In fact, here's just a little equation for you. Your generosity plus God's provision equals unlimited potential. I mean, think about it. Jesus took a couple of fish and a few little cakes of bread and fed thousands of people. <laughs> he doesn't need a lot. And sometimes people say things like that. You know, 
the need is so huge. The, the world is in such a mess and the problems are so big. And my contribution is just a drop in the bucket. It's not going to make a difference at all anyway. Why should I give? And when you're saying that, what you're actually saying is, if I can't save the whole world, if, if, if I can't solve all the world's financial and resource problems, then I'm not going to be a part of helping in any of it. It's like, who do you think you are? Bill Gates? Even with all his riches, he can't do it. But, but, together, with God's supply, unlimited. And we've just got a glimpse of that when we started this dollar club back in December. The difference it made, one buck, one buck per person. That's a drop in the bucket. Somebody who's got huge financial problems and just in so much need, what is my $1 going to make a difference about anyway? But 550 people, one buck each, makes a huge difference. Huge difference. See, generosity has eternal benefits. Paul goes on. He says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. What he's saying is our generosity points people to God. I I, I want you to get that. What if... What if the church of Jesus Christ took this generosity thing so seriously that we became known in the world as the most generous people on earth? And they started looking at the church as people who give and give joyfully and help and serve and meet needs instead of bigoted, angry, protesting, mean people. How would it change the world's perception of the church? How would it change if we, just this local body, got serious about generosity? How could we change people's attitudes towards church, and not just towards church, but towards God? Just imagine what could happen. And it's something we are so serious about. That this year, it, that, that's what we are all about. This is the year of generous living. And we are looking at how many ways can we together as a church partner with existing ministries. How can we help those who are in need better in our communities? But, but not just as a church. I want it to get down to an every person level. Because when we are generous, it points people to God. The other thing that it does, it matures us in our faith. He says, because of the service which, by which you have proved yourselves... Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. In other words, put your money where your mouth is. Don't talk about charity. Don't talk about love. Do love. Show love. Tangible expressions. See, when you start doing that, when you start taking these steps of faith, then faith becomes not just theoretical belief or principles that I might agree to, It becomes real trust in God's care and provision. When you start doing this, when we start doing this, when I start doing this, it makes love more than just 
a nice sermon, it makes it acts of compassion, which is what God is all about. It changes. It grows our faith. And the third thing it does is it builds a sense of community. Builds a sense of community. He says, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. Now understand culturally what's going on here. This is a Gentile church in a Greek city, hundreds and hundreds of miles removed, and there's no planes or trains or automobiles from a church in Jerusalem that is Jewish. There are Jewish believers here, and there are Gentile believers here, and they are so far apart culturally. They are so far apart in terms of their upbringing and their worldview and, and even in their theological backgrounds. When you had Jewish Christians who come from a long line of belief in the one true God, and to be a Jew was to be chosen by God and to be special in his sight. To, to a Gentile who all he has known is a pantheistic whole group of gods that you're always afraid of, which one's going to get mad at you? That's, and, and on top of all of that, and we've talked about this a couple weeks ago in the last series, that there was a difference just in the cultures. There was this whole sense of what do we do with these Gentiles that are becoming Christians because do they have to become Jewish before they become Christ followers? And what about circumcision and meat offered to idols and all of this? Those were all the cultural things. There were all these divisions and all these things that were kind of tearing at the church and making it hard to kind of come together. And Paul says, listen, your gift extended to people you don't even know who are culturally different from you, theologically different from you, have nothing in common with you. Your gift reaches them. It says, in their prayers, not only will they thank God, their hearts will go out to you. There will be a whole different connection in the body of Christ than there's ever been before. There will be such a sense of unity that we are part of the same family. Serving the same God. Trusting the same Savior. It will bring us together. That's what generosity does. It points people to God. It changes us. And it builds community. I want to read you a story. We started this dollar club. The first family that we helped, um, really a desperate need. They were recently moved back to the area. Both of them were out of work, um, both actually because of medical reasons. And, and things had just gotten so far behind, so far behind. And we were able to give them a little over $500 to just meet basic needs, just kind of get them through a hump. But one family in our church had this sense that God was telling them that we need to do something more. So they contacted me and just said, you know, God's been kind of talking to us and we just feel like we would like to do something more. And what we'd like to do is we'd like to take on like one of their monthly payments for a few months just so it's something less they would have to worry about meeting a particular need. And I said, sure, I think we can make that happen. So I contacted the family and asked them and they said, you know, the greatest need we have right now is, is, is our transportation, is our car payment. You know, we're, we're, we're behind in our car payment. So I contacted the other family and 
He said, sure, we're, help, we're willing to help. And, and so I was kind of the go-between, and I you know, got the pay stub and brought it over here. So this note I got this week. I said, hi, Ken. Here's a little note of how God touched us to provide to this family, for this family. When we heard that Northgate had given $500 to this family in need and how it helped them keep the lights and heat on, God immediately pricked our hearts. Telling us this family needed more. So we talked. Decided we wanted to take over one of their bills for a couple of months to help relieve some of the financial pressure since they were both out of work at the time. Of course, I thought they'll probably give us a bill for about $150 at the most. And we could definitely handle that, no problem. Then you came to us and said they really needed help with their car payment. No problem, maybe $200. Then you told us it was going to be $350 a month. And not only that, but they needed two payments in January to get current. It was all I could do not to say, we can't do that. There was a brief moment of panic, but we really felt God was wanting us to help this family out, and this is what they needed. And God knew, God knew beforehand what they needed, and he knew what we would be able to provide. I was totally overwhelmed recently, knowing that we had been able to make these two payments and have surplus in our budget this month without taking out of savings. God was so faithful to us, and it brings me to my knees to know that he provides for all of us, whether we are on the receiving or the giving end. I am so glad I didn't say we can't do that because I would have missed out on God's provision, and not just a little, but a lot of his provision. I am so glad I could share this with you. My husband and I have gone through so much healing and growth in the past year and a half in all areas of our lives, but especially financially. We didn't see a way, any, a way out or any light at the end of the tunnel for some time, but now we are on this side of being almost out of financial trouble, and it is fun to be able to give to others. We've always felt called to help others in this way, but never had the finances to do so. And even though there was a brief panic, it was only for a moment. I certainly didn't even imagine that God would not only help us make the double payment, but that we, we would have more than enough for our own needs. I'll see you Sunday, and thanks for the opportunity to allow us to share in what God is doing. Is that cool? It's what God does. It's what God does. Now, if you're here this morning, and you're kind of new in this whole discovery of faith process, I want to be really, really clear because what we are talking about this morning is not about indulgences or buying your way into heaven or somehow earning something from God because you're paying, you know, it's not about any of that. Jesus Christ paid the price in full on the cross for your sin and for mine. And he gives us the gift of eternal life totally as a gift of his grace. It is not about that at all. What it is about is learning to be conformed into his image. It's about learning to take him at his word. It's about growing in our faith and learning to be a tangible expression of his love and his compassion to a needy world. And in this year, we are looking at ways that we can better do that together as a church, both in foreign missions and here at home. And it's my prayer that we do this not just as an organization, 
but as each, each and every one of us at our own personal level. It's stuff I'm working through, <laughs> praying through, but I believe it. And it's interesting because it's not just our church. I have, I have read recently of so many churches who, who, are, who are making this whole transition from just proclaiming the gospel with our lips to starting to proclaim it with our lives and our actions. And I think it's powerful stuff. I think it will change the way people come to know God. So here's what I'm going to do as we pray. I'm just going to ask you to take this challenge. And, and no arm twisting, no coercion, no you know, guilt trip. I'm just going to ask you to start praying, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? What do you want me to give to be a part of what you're doing in this world and through our church? And whatever that is, just obey him. And I know there's people here that are in really tough straits and you know, that's why I'm not, this is just between you and God. But I would ask that you would start making that your prayer and just start thinking in a whole different way. And let's see what God does. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. Oh,